0: Hi, welcome to the first episode of Off the Shelf. This week, we're talking to Molly Hills. Now, Molly and I go back a long way. We met when we were very, very awkward teenagers at school. Now, when I was setting up this podcast, I contacted Molly and I asked her to write a short introduction about herself And this paragraph might be the funniest thing I think I've ever read. Imagine a 27-year-old white woman from Surrey. Her waist size, chest size, foot size, and IQ are bang on exact national average. Her hair is the exact color of brown that you would find when you Google the word brown. And she likes all the things she would be expected to like. Animals, books, food, and The Simpsons. She is entirely unremarkable in every single way, except for one thing. She is the only human to have ever successfully managed to unsubscribe from Indeed Alerts. That person is Molly Hills. Molly Hills is nearly 28, and her hobby is pubs. Please welcome to Off The Shelf, my first guest and dearest friend, Molly Hills.
1: Pubs and buffets, actually, now, I think. I was just thinking about how much I missed buffets earlier today and so I would say yeah my my greatest hobby is pubs and buffets.
0: I mean that was a fabulous introduction when I read it the only thing I would say is you are not entirely unremarkable you are possibly the funniest person I think I've ever met Aww. and if people don't believe me I will link in the show notes to your Instagram and they can follow you and enjoy your life and just the puns and the great book reviews and all of the lovely stuff that you post and your great taste in homewares
1: thank you actually no these aren't my homewares that I I have a very bad taste in homeware because I like buying things that look like you're gonna take them home and have several curses on you Um, but Leo and Pat, the people that I live with, they've got um, really lovely taste and Leo has all this lovely mid-century furniture. So I I get to pretend that it's all mine by living and using it in all my Instagram posts, but actually the only things that I own are actually quite frightful and revolting.
0: Oh, I'm sure that's not true. I'd just like to stop there and give a shout out to Leo who is listening to this, hi Leo, and is, molly's housemate and he very kindly helped us with some technical problems we had but i suppose that's why you have a pilot so thank you again Leo. <laughs> oh he's a, he's a good one so molly we're recording this on a friday night mm-hmm. drinks in hand what have you been up to this week
1: um a lot of sitting to be honest phoebe um a lot of sitting and then moving to another place in the house and sitting there um I've not really been actually drinking during this lockdown. I've been trying to um well, I don't know what I've been trying to do because I've not been able to do much at all, but um but I did uh I did watch a play on Shakespeare's Globe TV. I think it was on Shakespeare's Globe Globe TV. My friend gave me hit the link to it. And it's one of those pay what you want to pay. Kind of things and it's basically it's called Amelia and it's an all-female cast and it's pro- oh it's just one of the best things I've seen I really recommend you watch it it's, you will love it so much it's um it's about uh, a woman called Amelia Bassano who was basically she's been erased from history because we all know who Shakespeare is and we all know who Spencer and Sidney and Webster are all these you know very talented white men um but no one really knows who uh, except for historians and literature students know who amelia bassano is and she was the first female poet and um she wrote a lot of proto-feminism and um this play basically is concerned with it gives her the story that she didn't get to have um it tells her story uh growing up in court um with a musician father and losing her parents and writing poems and not being allowed to publish them because it was just absolutely not allowed for women to publish any writing and um, well what the I mean there's a lot of artistic license with this play but they kind of suggest that Shakespeare um, who writes a lot about a dark lady in his sonnets I'm doing air quotes um, Is her and that he nicked quite a lot of his ideas and work from her which is very it's a very audacious claim but it's um, it made for a really um, inspiring watch and it was I'd say it was part play part manifesto it leaves you with a definite rumble in your belly and um, you're kind of angry it's best not to drive afterwards
0: So, for those of you who are new to the show which is everyone as this is the first episode of the pilot this show, this show is about getting onto my guests bookshelves and finding out what makes them tick i want to know which books my guests love and why they love them guests will come on having chosen five books for different reasons they may love them they may hate them they may love them as a child they may have got given them as a gift after that we'll have some quick fire questions which i'm sure guests will grow to hate and fear which is exactly what i'm going for so molly what was your favorite book growing up
1: when i grew up i can't remember i actually can't remember much in my childhood um and that's not to say it wasn't completely lovely and blissful and privileged i just I think I spent so much of my childhood just being in a bit of a daydreamy days, just totally unaware of my surroundings and everything that was going on and just quite a happy, little merry, silly little child. Um, but something that I really do remember, because um, I don't think I really came online until I was, well, maybe like two years ago <laughs> in my twenties. but. Um, The one thing that I really do remember is not being able to ever stop reading this one book. Um, And I think my mum bought it for me uh, in a selection of just kind of young books for, you know, growing, budding readers, and it was called The Ballad of Lucy Whipple by Karen Cushman. and. It told a really beautiful story of just this girl who didn't want to leave her hometown in Massachusetts and she was very young but it was it's set in the I think it's set in the gold rush so in the early 19th century Um, but my history could all be wrong there because I'm not a massive history buff and um, she basically gets dragged to California because her mom is desperate to find some find her riches and start a wonderful new life and thinks that it's all there for them in california and um she goes uh, they go just um the mother her brother and her um getting a wagon the whole way there and turns out that there's absolutely nothing really going on there it's just a couple of filthy old prospectors and um you know they have to open up a boarding house and she just hates it she finds it rubbish and there's no library and she's just miserable the whole time which is I think so understandable for the young um young girl or young introverted person that just you know really doesn't want to be taken away from home it's a classic coming of age and obviously she grows to like it there eventually but um You meet all kinds of crazy characters and people who've just come out of nowhere to try and find their fortune in California. And it's just all of it is just so fun and very, yeah, it's just a page turner that I just kept reading again and again. I slept with it.
0: We've all had that book that we read so much, we fall asleep with it in the bed. So it sounds like this book is Little House on the Prairie slash Little Women but more of a kid's book. And for our listeners who have a young, influential female in their lives, what kind of age range would you say the book's for?
1: I think, um, I, think I would even read it again now as an adult. So um, I think with quite a lot of books, uh, except for s- some really harrowing ones, um, it's pretty much any age, but I would say, I'd say as young as as young as you can get, as as early as they can read. I would give them this book because it is really um, it's really lovely. But it's also got this really good message of sometimes you just don't get what you want, and I quite like that. And that's very Little Women as well, which I'll probably mention later on.
0: <laughs> I mean, spoilers, Molly, but <laughs> but I think you're right the message of you just don't get what you want is a big one for 2020. We all had plans and none of them happened
1: yeah, the way that we wanted them to Yeah, yeah. I, th- I think it's... I mean, obviously, I don't want to go down the line of being way too stoic and keep calm and carry on, because I find that quite annoying about uh, Englishisms. But um, I do think that there is a degree of, sometimes you don't get what you want, and sometimes what you wanted might not have been the right thing, and it's quite it's quite a healthy thing to have a bit of that in you to be like you know this isn't what i wanted to do but i'll make the best of it and that's kind of what that book offers
0: what a powerful message to end your first book on so for your second book what book has your favorite character in
1: Oh no, this one this one I found really hard because I really fall in love with characters. Um that's my favourite part of reading, is that I just I never shake them from me um after the final page. I always take them around with me. Um and actually especially the characters that are slightly more complex and not the characters that are perfect and lovely like my mum always says you know she loves Lizzie Bennet and everyone loves Lizzie Bennet and everyone loves Miss um, what's her name in Sense of Sensibility it's um, Eleanor in Sense of Sensibility they're perfect and sensible and really clever and quiet and I, I like those characters but the one that I chose was actually from Jilly Cooper. And it's a girl called Perdita and which means the little lost one, I think. And what I really like about her is that she's she's an asshole. <laughs> I don't can I swear? I don't but I, do, I You can re- definitely swear, but <laughs>
0: just to cut in there, for those of our readers that aren't familiar with Julie Cooper, could you also tell us a bit about Julie Cooper?
1: Yes, I can I could talk everyone's head off about Jilly Cooper. She she gets so um she gets so much crap <laughs> um by so many readers because a lot of people and I've got a real thing about people using the word trashy or garbage to describe books because the thing about Jilly Cooper is that it may be seen as chiclet or trash, but really She's a woman, she's a writer who wears her intelligence really lightly because she, like no other author I've ever really come across, as problematic as she is, but you know, she's of her time. She wrote in the sixties and seventies or whatever, but she, um, she really does have a gift for characters and they're the kind of characters, the beginnings of her book have cast lists like a play where there's pages and pages of people with these ridiculous names, and you think, how on earth am I ever gonna, you know, learn all these people? And you do, because, you know, 400 pages later, because all her books are ginormous, 400 pages later, you know exactly all these main, like all the main characters and everything about them, but also all of these tiny little characters and the horses' names and the dogs' names. And I think Jilly, Cooper's got this extraordinary ability to see really people for what they really are. You know, she's got such a big heart and she really can get right down to what it really is to be human. And a lot of it is very silly and a lot of it is to do with shagging, which is like, you know, her favorite subject. And any interview with her is so fun to read because, or listen to because she talks extremely fast and um, she mainly talks about um, who she finds attractive because she just loves men so much. Um, And so all of her books are kind of um, a lot to do with upper class and all of their, you know, kind of base behaviours. Kind of like Evelyn Waugh in a way. Um, but at the same time, you know, she 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 brings up all this kind of silliness and, um, you know, charming scruffiness of these kind of upper class people who otherwise are very problematic. Um, and her character, the character that I really love, sorry, I could go on about Jilly Cooper for so long. No, it's fine. Um, That's a very impassioned defence of Jilly Cooper. I feel like I could probably... write, you know, a dissertation on in defence of Jilly Cooper. anyway so
0: as we can tell you love Jilly Cooper
1: (laughs) I do I do
0: the character you're talking about Perdita came from her book Polo which I googled before this because it's a book I hadn't heard of and it came out in 1991 yeah as our listeners may or may not know Jilly Cooper is very famous for writing these bonk buster novels about Polo and as I said, I've known you a long time, and you play polo, or used to play polo. Do you think that's why you're drawn to Perdita so much?
1: You know, um, so when I first got my job as a groom um, at a local yard that was also a polo club, my mum was so excited to give me this book by Jilly Cooper, and she said, oh, I know you're a little bit young for this, but... I couldn't resist because I think you'll really love this book and there's lots of lovely descriptions of horses. And she gave it to me and she just slapped it down on my table and it was so heavy and so big. It was about 700 pages or something ridiculous. And um, I straight away got into it and I have to tell you, all of her descriptions of the people that you will meet in this ridiculous sport that I wish I didn't love, but I do. Um, they're just completely exactly the same. And even though it was written, obviously, 20 years, uh, 30 years ago, um, you could still find those characters um, in polo today. And um, I'm not not sure how many of your listeners now will think that I'm an absolute tough. Um, But I I promise, I promise I'm not. I really stumbled into this sport um, just from my love of horses and ended up um, just learning how to play and getting involved uh, with all the people, all the while 100% feeling outside of it. And um, I got to a point where I could do it as my career, which was wonderful. And I don't regret it at all for a second, but um, of course it goes without saying, it's the most elitist sport in the whole world. I kind of resist talking about it sometimes (laughs) because um, I think it makes people um, have an, instant assumption that i'm a posh snob (laughs) and a tory (laughs) i'm not either of those things i just um i was just a little girl who really loved horses and um managed to wiggle her way in well i'm
0: sure my listeners won't think that about you (laughs) but just but just to be clear if you did write a novel would it be a bonk busting polo playing extravaganza a jilly cooper homage if you like
1: well you'll just have to wait and see (laughs) um oh it's so it's so irresistible it's so irresistible to write about that those honestly they're characters that you wouldn't believe me when I told you some of the stories and you know the people that you meet because they really are nothing like what you'd imagine (laughs) and um, so I do understand exactly why Jilly Cooper found it irresistible to write about it, and maybe one day I will. But I don't, I, I don't think, I don't think I'm ready to hold that beacon yet. I think I'll, I'll leave it with her for a little bit longer.
0: <laughs> and it sounds like, from what you're saying, Perdita is a bit of a strong female character, doesn't take any shit.
1: Yeah. So Per Perdita, she basically she's. She didn't know her father, she's from a wealthy family and you know, she smokes fags in school, she skives, she rolls up her skirt, she doesn't wear a bra, she wears loads of makeup, and when she skives way cooler than us at school. Oh, she's she's the woman I'll never be because I was a dull goody goody, but Perlita, she skives out of school, smokes her cigarettes, and sits on the wall and watches Polo like she's a football hooligan, yelling at all the players and you know, she's so unapologetic and she's awful to her mother, which is, you know, it's never a good thing, but also it's just, I like it. I like to see it. I like to see someone who is not your typical, quiet, lovely, well-mannered young girl. She's She isn't, she isn't sugar or spice or anything nice. She's, she's an asshole, <laughs> but I really like her because she's real. Well,
0: I mean, It sounds like we all want Perdita to be our friend now.
1: (laughs) She wouldn't be friends with anyone. That's the best part. She's she's completely her own person.
0: Well, next year for Halloween, I think you should dress up as Perdita.
1: Mm. God, I don't think I've got the figure.
0: (laughs) So after that very compelling defense of Jilly Cooper, we move on to your third book, which is the book that you think everyone should read.
1: The book I think everyone should read. Um, this took me quite a long time actually. I changed my answer quite a few times, which I suppose with all of with all of your questions, I am going to change them a few times because you read. I mean, I read three hours a day, so I'm always kind of plowing through books. But um, I, and with the amount of twi- Twitter posts that I delete, for three hours or three minutes after writing them. I mean, I've got no commitment to any of my answers, really. But um, I I will commit to this one because I did think about it. And I really think that any person, any person should read and would love to read the poems of Maya Angelou, who just, she's extraordinary, extraordinary writer. She's fierce but so calm. I don't. I don't know how to explain it. There's, there's just such a power behind all of her poetry, and I would probably suggest. I know she's most famous for. Um, I know why a caged bird sings, um, and I'm just
0: butting in here to say I have read that book and it is amazing, and yeah. I would also recommend it to everyone. Yes. But this is your choice, so you go on. <laughs> no,
1: that's, um but I would actually suggest. Um, just in any of her anthologies of poems, um, my favourite is And Still I Rise. Um, That's where you really find this ferocity of her heart. And she just, everything about her resembles this wonderful energy of strength and resilience. And just, it's gotta be, it's just such a beautiful thing to see and also, her Desert Island Discs, I don't know if you listen to it, her Desert Island Discs um, with Michael Parkinson is one of the best episodes. Um, there's a part where she says, Michael Parkinson asks her if she would rather be a six-foot white man instead, and she just says, no, you know, of course not. I, I would like to be, because she's, she's quite a tall woman. She said, I'd like to be a six-foot black woman, thank you very much. And I just, oh of all, all time best answer to any kind of um, you know question that Michael Parkinson has said that can sometimes be a little bit facetious.
0: Yes, I can confirm we are massive fans of Desert Island Discs, both the podcast and the radio show on this podcast. <laughs> I completely agree with you, Maya Angelou's books and poetry are beautiful. So moving on now to your fourth book, what book do you relate to most?
1: This is such a, such an interesting question. I've never actually, I've never thought about relating. Of course, you know, to give, to read, you do give yourself in some way to the book that you're reading. Um, And so I guess the more relatable it is sometimes, the more it really clings to you and, I find I relate even though, even when I don't, and that's the power of a good book, isn't it? It's, you know, it's the life of someone. You're treading in someone else's shoes for a few miles and leaving yours at the door. But um, the one that I most relate with is a book that has got actually quite a bad title. It's a bit of a rubbish title. And for that reason, I find it very difficult to um, <laughs> suggest it to my friends. Um but it's uh Barbara Trepido's brother of the more famous Jack. And it's the reason I relate with it um is obviously I am an English student, um and so is the protagonist Catherine. And it's a it's another case of Perdita again. She's well, she's not quite as precocious as Perdita, but she's very um you know, she's very oh, I don't know how to say it, she's very witty, she's very Smart and she loves sex and she loves clothes and she's just not your typical quiet dismissive um, submissive young girl. So basically, the plot is she is an English student and her professor is quite taken with her, but not not in a not in a it's a it's like an education, I suppose. Have you seen that Carrie Mulligan? Yes, um, the college. Um, but. Uh, Is is kind of like that, but she she's taken with her professor, but in a very platonic way. Like you know, he finds her very fascinating. Um, She ends up going to stay in his country house with his whole family, and they are the most eccentric, um, scruffy, lovely, um, you know, British classic bumpkin family you'll ever see. And they're just so charming that you fall in love with the family as well. There's the two sons who are the kind of people that wear wellies in the house and smoke cigarettes and call their mum after their, her first name and talk about sex with their mum and philosophy with their dad and they play violin to make the dogs howl and it's all, it's all just you know that kind of romanticised English countryside family that's just it's, um, it's really jolly. Um, but, uh, Catherine, the main character as well, she, um, she gets quite taken with both of the sons, um, kind of one after the other, (laughs) which is really fun. Um, and I relate with it because I have that similar curiosity that Catherine has. I do, I do find myself drawn to interesting characters and eccentric people. And, um, Catherine's almost plays a journalist character in this where she, she's so curious that she wants to go and see everything about their lives. And sometimes I feel a little bit like that. I feel, um, I feel like a Louis Theroux sometimes. Um, I know I mentioned, um, having been part of the polo scene. Um, I felt like a tourist the whole time because it's not my scene really. Um, you know, I don't have that, our family never had that kind of money, but I got wrapped up in it and I felt like a tourist um but in a fun way because more more like a journalist than a tourist because you you're just watching all these odd behaviors of these kind of upper-class families and their ridiculousness and their depravity and it's um and you just think to yourself everything's copy you know you can write this all down and i can guarantee that barbara torpedo had this exact same experience she obviously found a family very similar and just thought i need to make note of absolutely everything they're doing because it's delicious
0: so you said that the main character Catherine is an English student and you're now an English student so are you trying to be unleash your inner Catherine maybe
1: (laughs) oh Catherine's much cooler than me as is Perdita as well I mean she's she's a yes woman (laughs) and I'm a no woman um a lot of the time but um yeah no I think um I think Catherine's a really good example of someone who um reads between the lines of books and there's one part in the book where she um I think she has this debate with her professor and her professor says you know oh well there isn't any sex in Emma Um, Jane Austen's Emma and she goes of course there is there's babies and wearing baby bonnets so that must mean that there's sex in Emma and her professor finds that absolutely extraordinary and finds it really funny and I love that and I do I do think that I'd like to be someone who can pick up on these little things and challenge their professors. Wow I'd never thought about it like that of course in
0: classical books where there's babies there's definitely been sex.
1: (laughs) Oh Jane Austen is full of sex honestly it's like she's she is one wonderful writer like you know obviously I haven't had a chance to talk about Jane Austen who's one of my favorites as well but I love it she's a comedy writer she she talks about probably some of the dirtiest stuff but there's no dirty language in it well you you just have to guess it (laughs) the imagination
0: is a powerful thing Molly Hills (laughs) So moving on to your fifth book and for me this would be the hardest question of all to answer because it changes all the time. What is your all-time favourite book?
1: You know when I when I was thinking about this I kept writing this one answer down and then crossing it out and trying to think of something that would be a little bit more academic or not to say that this isn't but you know, I wanted to be like, oh, you know, I've only picked books written by women, <laughs> and um, you know, I don't want it to. It would be far more impressive if I could say the Iliad or something like that. But you know, that wouldn't be the truth, and it would be pretty just dis- disingenuous of me because you know, that's not what this podcast is about, and that's not what reading's about. You need to um, you need you need to read things that you're passionate about, and I. I don't give much time to books that I'm not that interested in and are, I mean my friend Kate has a rule where she says um, she gives every book 100 pages and then after that um, if it's still not you know tickling her then she'll sack it off and I like that and that's the kind of tell us that I get behind as well. Um, I totally agree with your friend Kate, if yeah. you only have
0: a limited amount of hours to read don't waste them reading something you don't love.
1: No, exactly. And especially don't read things that you think you would like to love. So things that, you know, you would, don't hide books in other jackets to sit on the train looking, you know,
0: I mean, does and... anyone do
1: that? Has that actually happened? I know, I know people who've done it and it's not me because I very proudly sit and read my, you know, your Jilly Cooper on the tube that's a very long way of saying my answer has been the same and it probably will always be the same I'll I'll find books that I love you know many times in my life but I don't think um I think I'll always remain loyal to um Little Women by Louisa May Alcott interesting
0: that's a good choice why do you love it so much
1: I think it's for me, it's, uh, well, I think for a lot of women, it's the perfect representation of just everything, everything it is to be human, really, um, in many ways. You know, there it's about female writers who are aware of the economic impositions of marriage. Um, there's a lot of total sadness and grief, but then there's a lot of joy and jolly laughter and kindness and giving, and I think, you know, that's, that's just life isn't it you know there's there's all kinds of stuff going on and um it can't always be it's the same as what I said before it's not always not always things not always working out exactly how you wanted them to and um I think you know Jo March is a really wonderful character um I would say that she's she my favorite character but actually you know Jo March as much as I wish that I was Jo March and a lot of female writers do think they're Joe March, um, but you know, I do. I do love boys, so <laughs> I wish I didn't. I wish I didn't. So that's why I think Perdita. Um, but yeah, Little Women, and it's just it's wrapped up in this very unassuming title, um, as if to say, you know, oh, this is you know just little stories of you know these um, little. St- women that do simple little lives and it really that's just the perfect um epitome of the whole book because it it's so it isn't because it tro it trojan horses in a lot of really big ideas and big thoughts and it's it's about feminism it's about you know actually really interrogating the concept of why must i get married and why are our stories little? Because they're not. And um, I think that's that means so much to me and it definitely inspired me to write. And um, just the image of Jo March scribbling on the floor furiously and twisting her wrists around to stretch them out um, while she's trying to get down a thought is, um, well, that, every time I think of that, that's just bliss. That's, you know, that's what it really feels like to really enjoy writing and do it as if to kind of um what's the word it's um as if to like exercise a demon rather than anything else
0: i mean i could listen to you talk about little women all day (laughs) but as our listeners and as our listeners will know little women had a very famous film adaption come out very recently starring a multitude of young, strong, successful female actresses. And I just wanted to ask you, what do you think about books being overshadowed by their film adaptions? So there was the very recent adaption of Little Women, and then there was the one back in 1994, and then there was another one back in 1949. So this is a book that consistently is being remade and is a popular book.
1: I... um that's it's Little Women is a very interesting one as well because every generation has their own favourite version of the film because my mom's favourite is the uh, Elizabeth Taylor being Amy one and I actually mine is the Greta Gerwig one um, because she really leans on the feminism in that one but um, yeah I before if you asked me a couple of years ago I probably would have said um, you know oh people should read the book the films are never going to be anything um compared to the book but actually you know i think it's a really nice gateway uh to a story that would otherwise probably you know eventually go ignored and we have to admit that film is the more accessible language um and it has kind of i, I don't want it to have overtaken books but you know with a lot of uh with everyone having a Netflix account um i think more people watch films and um and so if that's you know if that's their conduit to hearing and learning these stories and then maybe they will go and buy the book after and if not then they've heard the story that deserves to be told at the end of the day anyway so um it doesn't make me too mad
0: well who can argue with that (laughs) so for our listeners we're recording this on a friday night I have a gin and tonic in hand, and Molly has a big glass of red wine. So I guess now you're immediately, after we hang up on this phone call, going to watch Little Women. <laughs>
1: um, I actually, I i made, I say I made my boyfriend watch it. Um, he, he was very keen to watch it after everything I'd had to say about it, and he watched it, and um, he'll never forgive me. For, he will, he'll have to forgive me. Um, He sobbed more than, and I won't give any spoilers away, but anyone who knows the story will know exactly why he sobbed. He sobbed more than my mum did, or I did, or any of my friends have. Um, (laughs) And it made me really happy because I thought, yeah, okay, now we're getting somewhere. (laughs) You know? You know what? Good for Pat. He is very comfortable in
0: in his feelings, in his emotions, and good for him.
1: Oh my God. Oh, he could never hear this. No, I think, oh. All it's men... okay, I'll cut this bit out. All men need to cry. <laughs> it's my favourite thing.
0: I mean, this is a great topic, which I could talk about for hours, and I'm sure you could too. But our listeners want to know the burning question, which of your five books that you've chosen is your most top favourite book?
1: Um... Do you mean like Desert Island Read, basically? Um, I, I mean, you can
0: only read one book for the rest of your life. Which one would you go for?
1: Um, well, that's difficult because actually, um, I mean, I would say Little Women, but it's quite short. <laughs> and so, oh, I'm going to have to. I'm going to have to because it's just... Um, no, I don't want to cry that much, though. Um i must press you for an answer okay all right paxman um (laughs) do you know what i'm gonna say jilly cooper's polo i'm gonna do it because it's enormous so it's you know very like you know quite quite a good bit of sustenance and there's it's so funny and there's so many horses in it and dogs and giving bits of food to animals under the table and those are the things that i just love the most so um, I'd be lying if I said it wasn't. Um, that was go- that would obviously be my takeaway.
0: Okay, great choice, and I hope all our listeners go away and start reading Julie Cooper and discover what all the fuss is about with her sex scenes.
1: Oh, they're never gonna forgive me. They're never gonna forgive me. <laughs> <It's> so, <laughs> there's so many issues about her writing, but that's okay. We're all, we're all good. They'll enjoy it. That's the thing. It's, you know, it's problematic. And yet.
0: (laughs) And and yet is the most enjoyable part. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) So moving on to the final stage, I've now got five quick fire questions and... really do think this is going to be the part of the show which guests hate the most so question number one fiction or non-fiction
1: oh fiction easily always fiction I don't want to know the truth about things
0: (laughs) do you ever read non-fiction
1: I I, do you know what I really enjoyed um Andre Agassi's autobiography (laughs) it's very funny it's really funny and he's completely wild so I do recommend that um i like an i like an autobiography but um no I'm not mad about non-fiction
0: question number two how often do you finish a book
1: well i'd say i'd say at least once a week um there have been some where i've you know been a page in and i've been like oh i want to but i'm just not in the mood for this and so you know i do i do shut, shut them away for another day uh, quite a lot and there's been a couple that i've been this is not for me see you later um but generally i do i do finish um i'm, I'm much better at my choices now my picking and so um i do i do tend to um choose books that uh, do sound like they're up my street and then i do finish them so in terms of picking, how do you decide?
0: Is it recommendations from people?
1: Yeah, no, um, all of my all of my book choices are first-hand recommendations from real life people. Um, I really, really refuse to um, just Google bestsellers and as tempting as it is, you know, when there's all these prizes and awards that come up and, you know, um, you just see the lists coming up, and you think, "Oh, that looks good." And but you know they'll come round to me eventually. I'd much rather take a recommendation from a fellow weirdo um, like me who knows what I like, and um, and it's just so much nicer that way. It's it's really organic, and you know when someone comes up to you and says, "Oh, you'd love this," I finished this, and then oh, that's so that's so exciting, isn't it? Because then you order it, and you think. I already know I'm gonna like it because I like this person. (laughs) so they often choose nice things. And when they don't, I don't resent them for it though. (laughs) Of course.
0: I think that's a a good way to judge someone based on their taste in books.
1: Mm.
0: So question number three, where is your favorite place to read?
1: Where is my favorite place to read? Do you know what? I quite like lying on the floor um, because I don't want to be too comfortable Um, I don't like sitting on chairs that much because it feels quite strange for my back. I don't like lying on a sofa because it's almost too soft and I'll fall asleep. Um, I quite like lying on the floor. (laughs) Yeah, there's a part in my apartment, I'm actually sitting there right now, um, where I just put a pillow behind my head and it's near the radiator and I'll just, you know, pour, pour a glass of wine or whatever. And um, obviously, a bowl of various savoury things like cheese, or even just hummus in a spoon. And um, yeah, that's that's my definite. Always, always like to sit on the floor and read.
0: I mean, my main takeaway from that is hummus on a spoon. Do you not use carrots or celery?
1: No. Well, I think. Oh, I don't know. i like. Yes, but usually I think, to be honest, the carrots. I'd be lying to myself if I said that the carrots weren't just you know a way to eat the hummus. I don't care about the ca- the carrots. I just want. But anyway, but um, there was something. There was uh, I think it was in a book by Muriel Barbery, and it was in it was in the Elegance of the Hedgehog, which I think if you've not read it, I think you'd really like it. It's very you. And she says that when she reads, she puts a piece of chocolate by her when she reads. And if the book's good enough, she won't eat the chocolate because she'll have forgotten about it. And I think that's genius. That is
0: so genius. And she sounds great. She has much more self-control and willpower than I do. But going back to what you said about laying on the floor, it sounds a bit like your Goldilocks you don't want to get too comfy, you don't want to sit on the chair, you don't want to do this, you want to be just right.
1: Yeah I yeah exactly exactly but then I also I I mean in my dream world I'd have like a very um very nice fluffy rug to lie on and it would I'd feel a little bit less Goldilocks and slightly more Austin Powers vibes. (laughs)
0: Well, I hope for Christmas that's what you get, a lovely fluffy rug. So I hope Pat does listen to this so he can buy you the rug of your dreams. <laughs> so, question, so question number four, do you read in the morning or the evening?
1: Oh, um, well, it depends. It depends. If I'm, if I'm very, very um, caught up in a bit of a rapture in a book, I will read it the whole day and the whole night, and I will not stop to eat or even take a piss or anything. Um, And if it's a book... Do you know what? If it's a book that I'm struggling with, I'll read it in the morning because I think I've got a bit more motivation in the morning. And if it's a book that I'm finding really soothing and delicious, I'll read it at night. Um, I really like reading detective stories at night. I I think it's just a very... It's a very nice thing to go to bed with because it's like going to bed after doing a puzzle because you've got your answer. Um, that is if you finish it. Um, but you've got your answer and so then you can go off to sleep and, and you're not thinking about, oh, but what are they gonna do and where are they gonna go? You've got you know you know who did it, you know who done it, and so off we go. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, sorry, that was a bit random, random wasn't I mean, it? I could just listen to you talk for ages. Oh, it was a bit random, um, wasn't it? Uh, no I like it. You're much smarter than I am. No, I just, I, I could, this is just basically what all I want to do ever is talk about books.
0: <laughs> and time has flown by, but question five, which is our last question. What is the book you're most looking forward to reading next?
1: Um, well, I've just actually just finished a book that was so incredible. It was mind blowing. Um, which was called um, The Deeper the Water, The Uglier the Fish by Katya Abakina. Um, and it's, I think it was for a very small LA competition, but um, it's not that massively well heard of. Um, and I really loved that and I've um, recommended it to everyone. So I have just ordered an, the next one. Um, the next book I've ordered is Daddy by Emma Klein. Um, which is a collection of short stories. So that's not arriving for a couple of days. So I'm going to have to fill my time with probably reading some uni work.
0: (laughs) Well, we all have to read uni work. You know, best of luck with that. I always find it really hard to concentrate, especially when it comes up to Christmas and you just want to drink mulled wine, eat mince pies and watch Christmas films. So if readers have enjoyed hearing you, talk about books and how much you love them. How can they learn more about you?
1: Well, I do, I have a a monthly newsletter um, where I, it started out as a kind of book club, but because of the pandemic and such, um, I've kind of turned it gently into a um, kind of recommendations newsletter where I give a few, a few recommendations a week, just completely on the basis of my own opinions um i'll take all kinds of recommendations from other people and then regurgitate them into little reviews and what i what i'm trying to do with that is um kind of take take these recommendations and make accessible some books that um people who don't read as much as they'd like to um and it kind of i want to kind of just give them a gentle nudge into going for certain books that um they might not normally pick and kind of trying to push them a little bit away from using um amazon and um i, I
0: mean can you say the a word on this podcast <laughs>
1: you swear. Um, i'm not sure that a word is allowed okay well okay i'll stop I'm just trying to nudge them to spend their money at um yeah local and independent bookshops or lending libraries and um what i'll often do with my recommendations is add a read if you like um bit at the end where i'll say you know read if you like and then i'll find contemporary examples um because there are so many people that are very difficult to influence to read. And so if I say something like, read if you liked Parasite by Bong Joon-ho or something like that, then they'll think, oh yeah, Parasite was a really good film. And then that's my way of kind of sneaking in, um, it, making them read uh, something because you know, they'll think, oh yeah, I liked that. And so rather than saying, read if you like another book, Um, I use, um, yeah, just more contemporary references.
0: Ah, yes, the classic bait and switch. It Mm -hmm. does seem a very good tactic because you're right. I meet so many people who are really proud of the fact they don't read. And I do really judge them for it. I really think that everyone should read. And it doesn't have to be a really heavy book. It can be a short book. It can be, you know, a copy of The Beano, but everyone should read?
1: Yeah I mean well reading is a privilege and um, it's a privilege not that you know isn't something everyone has and so the fact that so many people have the ability to read and you know don't do it um, I think it should it, it should be it should be encouraged more, it really should, and I think a lot of people do get scared of it because there are so many people that go around saying, you know, oh, yes, well, I love, you know, War and Peace, Tolstoy, difficult books, um, that I'm fully sure that only a very few select people have really, truly enjoyed those books, and um, not to say that they're bad, but you know what I mean. And so I think that kind of puts people off. It's quite intimidating. And so I think I'd really like to be part of a movement where we can get past this. Well, it's either this fantastic Russian male author or it's chiclet, and there's nothing in between. And, um, you know, what is chiclet? What is chiclet? It's what writing by women, ostensibly for women. And so therefore, it doesn't count as canon or literature it's just it's it's such a it's a stupid term and i think that stops a lot of men from reading books by women and i think it stops stops a lot of women from f- taking themselves seriously um when they want to write something and it's just only damaging i think
0: I mean, I completely agree with every word mm. that you just said. And moving on from the very important to the very silly, your newsletter is called Left On Red. And I think that is the funniest name I've ever heard. And I'm sure many of our listeners will have experienced being Left On Red. So how did you come up with the name?
1: Oh, it was Patrick. <laughs> he, I, I, he's he's really the the wise genius Um He's the brains behind the operation. He's the brains behind the operation. He, he honestly, I said, oh, you know what? Every time I recommend a book, people end up usually going and getting that book. <laughs> and he was just like, oh, well, we. The discussion actually happened where I said that I don't think I actually have any opinions about anything. <laughs> I said, um, I, I think our listeners would firmly disagree. I, th- oh, I firmly disagree. Well, no. Well, this is the point. He said, well, you do about books, <laughs> so Um, because like with many other things I really don't take that much of an opinion I'm too afraid of you know being wrong (laughs) so so but with with books I feel fairly certain that um when I read something I really do take what I what I take from the book and I feel quite comfortable to voice that um and so, but to do that, I have to read quite a lot so that I can be accountable for saying those, like, claims. Um, but yeah, Pat came up with it and um, it's all down to, well, he's, he's really encouraged me to do and pursue it um, and hopefully continue to for the foreseeing.
0: Next week, I hope you'll join us for some more book talk and finding out what people read and take off the shelf.